0: The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is a Mohawk Anishinaabekwe who is a brilliant journalist, producer, and host. She's a 60s scoop survivor, and those wounds have led her to her calling, Indigenous storytelling. The
1: reason that it was so important to me is that This was one of the first times that the world was hearing about residential schools in Canada and the mistreatment of little children, little indigenous children who went there and suffered all those abuses, um, who lost their childhood, who lost their culture, who lost their connection to their families. And as we know, a lot of them lost their lives. And so the first time the world is hearing this, I was the conduit to that.
0: She also happens to be one of my former colleagues at SiriusXM. My guest today is known as Kim Wheeler, but I like to call her Auntie Kim. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? It's so weird because the last time you and I would have been in this type of environment was like a work Zoom, and I much prefer this. And and cheers.
1: (laughs) Cheers. Yes, we are sitting here the day before the, well, we'll just say it, the colonizer's holiday. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, we're going to have to talk about that. We're having bevies, so yay Yes, Yeah, happy, we'll say happy long weekend. How does that sound? Oh, that, sounds, uh, that sounds really good. So you are up at a cabin, is that what you were saying, for the long weekend? I am. I'm in
1: uh, Treaty 2 territory. It's usually, I'm usually in Treaty 1, but I'm just north of Winnipeg, hanging out here for a week. Um, unfortunately, the weather is not cooperating. It's really chilly. We actually had to turn the heat on in the cabin we might have to start a fire tonight. <laughs> but uh, man, what are you going to do?
0: <laughs> I'm at a cabin, so who cares? It's like scorching here. Oh yeah. Totally, totally, no, right? I'm it doesn't wearing... matter. But yeah, we're we're having like a heat wave in, in uh Toronto. Oh, nice. Um, so I do want to talk to you about your career. You've done a million things in the media. You still at this moment do a million things in the media. What would you say is the favorite out of all the jobs right now, because you have a few.
1: Oh, yeah. I think my favorite is doing the anti App podcast, where it's a podcast by and about Indigenous women talking about important shit. And we center Indigenous women's excellence and all the amazing things that Indigenous women are doing across the country. So it's so great to, you know, sit and be a part of these Incredible conversations that are taking place, where we just, you know, uh, celebrate one another and and talk about and give space to conversations that don't normally happen, or well, don't not don't normally that never happen um, in the mainstream media. So a conversation at length, right, about what we as Indigenous women, um, non-binary, two spirit folks are interested in. And, it, you know, it doesn't feel like work.
0: So you have a co-host for that, right?
1: We do. I do have a co-host. Her name is Jolene Banning. She is um, my co-producer as well. And then we have a rotating, uh, rotating list of guest hosts as well because we also wanted to make space for other Indigenous women to carry on these conversations because, as Jolene likes to say, let's face it, we're not experts in everything. And as I like to say, although we we really like to believe we are.
0: (laughs) It also seems like kind of like a nice opportunity to almost set some women up who maybe don't have a ton of broadcasting experience who might want to get into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. We are, we do work with, um, with at least two hosts who don't have broadcast experience and, I was actually just thinking about this the other day because, you know, I always I always kind of go backwards in my thinking, like instead of okay, let's set it up to do this and this and this. It's like I let things happen organically and then I go and analyze it and break it down and and think, okay, how can we do this better? And I think one of the the things I'd like to do is bring all the hosts together and you know, and just give some host one oh one training to and and just you know even like sometimes even an old pro like Rosanna Deerchild <laughs> you know they we just need a little <laughs> bit <laughs> we just need a little bit of reminding how to you know do the job and she's used yes. to hosting a show on her own right so now she's you know working with co-hosts and you know how do you you know keep control of the interview while you know your best friend is sitting there Um, co-hosting alongside you, right?
0: Yeah. There's some like listening and reacting. Those are all things that are new to co-hosting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And especially the reacting because
1: if you're not used to being in front of a mic, uh, sometimes people get really nervous and they want to rush through things. They are like, oh my God, okay, I have to get to the next question. But you know, we bill it as a conversation, so we just have to remember, you know, how would we react if we were sitting around the table drinking tea or drinking wine, as it were? And, uh, you know, let's, you know, let's try and get that
0: vibe into the show. You know, you're someone, and I was shocked at this, but you're someone who I think was a little timid around the microphone when I first got in contact with you about that XM gig would you say that that's become a comfortable thing now?
1: Yeah, I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable in front of the mic. Um, because my entire career I was (laughs) I was behind the mic. I was the producer. I was telling the host what to say. Um, I was writing for somebody else. I was writing in other people's voices and I wasn't writing in my own voice. So, you know, when I did get that serious XM gig, thanks to you, Sarah, uh, I thought, it, you know, like I didn't want to make a, sh- I didn't make a show for like the first two months. I was like, oh, we'll just put it off, put it off, put it off, and that's what we kept doing. And then when I finally did do my first interview, I did it with Tanya Telega, who I'd been working with on the podcast Anti Up. Um, we actually hadn't even started that podcast yet; we were in the process of beginning it. And so I was comfortable interviewing her because we had already we had already worked together. Um, again, her as the host, me as the producer. And so now it was kind of switching around. And sitting in my home studio that i cr- that I created during the pandemic, specifically to do the serious XM gig was it probably took me like 10 takes to get through my intro. And I felt ridiculous being in this room, trying to project in my head, giving myself advice to every host I'd ever worked with and thinking, okay, I feel so bad now. (laughs) I feel so bad that I'm, you know, like (laughs) how hard can it be? Just like read the words I wrote for you. Yeah. And then having yeah. to yeah. <laughs> then having to read them and sound normal. And you know, it's not it's it's a definite skill for sure to to sit in a yeah. room by yourself in front of a mic and be engaging. You know what I mean.
0: A hundred percent. But you know what? There's something there, right? Like suddenly you're speaking in your own voice, producing in your own voice, and hosting in your own voice. Um I even find this funny with the email you just sent me. I said, hey, can you flip me your bio? I I didn't have it saved in my personal email. I only had it in my SiriusXM email. The email title that rolls in, Braggy Long Bio. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny to me that you're, I don't know, it's like you're not sure of yourself, but you should be.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I really think you're right about that, that I am, I still feel like I'm I'm, trying to find myself, but I also know who I am. And I think that comes from being adopted out as a baby. Um, most people who know me know that I'm a 60 Scoop survivor raised in a, a, a white family with very racist, very abusive parents. And so, you know, claiming that space is also part of my healing journey and being able to say, yes, this is who I am. And yes, I've done all these things, right? And I can do that among my friends, my close friends and my family. But, you know, to put it out there to other people, I just think, oh, man, this bio is ridiculous. (laughs) Because you're right, like, I've done a million things. And I think, (laughs) Like, why can't I just focus on one thing? Is it my ADHD? It may, it's probably my ADHD. But uh,
0: people seem happy with my work. So,
1: I, you know, I guess, I guess I'm doing okay.
0: So let's go back to the beginning of, of your career. And yes, we will get to the colonial holiday and all these things. But um, I know that you've worked at CBC uh, on a number of different productions. But like, what made you want to get into media?
1: Um, I was always very curious. I was a very curious child. I always asked questions of people. I remember getting scolded by my mother for asking um an aunt that I had just met you know how questions. old she is, right how old she is, what does she do? blah 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 and, and i you know I was probably like five years old. <laughs> asking adults questions about their lives that people just in polite company did not ask those questions um and mm. then i re- then i realized that i really loved writing and creating stories and creating worlds and so it was just natural that i would you know go into journalism
0: I was gonna say you could have written a novel too. Do you have a novel in the works?
1: God, no. I'm too lazy for a novel. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that, unless I'm but getting paid,
0: <laughs> Fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe if I get a maybe if I get a grant, I, but then I'd have to write you know a grant proposal and, eh.
0: Yeah. So what what was the first job you went for in the media? The
1: first job I went for, um, so I was still in journalism school and we had to do uh, internships. So my, I had a two-year college diploma from Grant McEwen, um, which is now uh, McEwen University in Edmonton. And I actually was already working at the Edmonton Journal because uh, that past summer, the summer between my first and my second year, they were looking for a sports stats editor which was probably one of the most ridiculous jobs I'd ever gone for (laughs) because one, I was not a big sports fan back then (laughs) and two, I could not do math. So there were no programs back then that you could just plunk in the numbers and bam, 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 they would reconfigure all the stats and where, you know, what, you know, which hockey team was in which place that all had to be done manually. And all those numbers had to be input manually and I fucked it up every single time. And the sports stats page was the <laughs> I most. I would have to man. <laughs> right? The sports stats page was the most read page of the paper. It was the page of the paper that the managing editor looked at first thing every single morning. So every time I got into work, they're like, you screwed up the hockey stats again. And it's like, what am I going to do? <laughs> right? <laughs> so then, when it came time, <laughs> how to, will I like, ever have a career? <laughs> right. So when it came time to actually doing an internship, um, we were told we had to, you know, we had to do them at weeklies because we, I don't know why. Like the program head didn't think anybody was ready to work at a daily newspaper. <laughs> it was like, um, excuse me, like I already have a job at a daily newspaper, and they're like, well, nobody's gonna they're not going to give you an internship. And I was like, oh, yes, they fucking will.
0: <laughs> this is what I love about Kim Wheeler.
1: <laughs> like right from the start. So I get to my, you know, I get to my sports, my sports job to my desk. And, you know, I could look across the newsroom and the, you know, the managing editor's office is right there. So I thought, you know what, screw it. And I walked right into his office and said, who I was, what I was doing, and that I wanted to do my three week internship placement there, and he was like, "Okay, sure," and just like that, just like I, that. just like that, I was doing my three week placement, and then I got the summer reporter gig, the cub reporter gig for the summer as well, and um, my <laughs> my marks <laughs> in that three week placement. My marks went from being a C student to being an A student because the reporters worked with me hmm. and helped edit my stuff and, you know, told me what was the most important and how, you know, I was like, okay, so if this is, if the on the ground people are you know, editing and doing this really well, how come we're not getting the same education in college?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I found that same thing. I did most of my learning like during college and university, like in the radio station. Like, yes, you get like the fundamentals, fine. You get that in school. But, you know, situational stuff, like what do you do if that all comes from being on the ground? Yeah, for sure. And then, you know,
1: from there, I went to like having babies and in and out of media jobs and working at a weekly and freelancing and working for the Canadian press for five years and leaving that because I had a shitty boss, you know, there who, I just was like, "I I can't keep working here under these circumstances. Even though my colleagues, my female colleagues were so incredible and they were so generous and I learned so much from them. But when there's somebody else who, who doesn't show you the respect you deserve. I just can't, I can't work for people like that.
0: Yeah, I get that. What makes a good manager? You've been through so many. (laughs) What makes a good manager? Uh, I guess respect is a two-way street,
1: right? And managers have to realize, or, well, I guess people who are promoting, people to managers, the best reporter doesn't always make the best manager. Just like the best server at a restaurant will not always make the best manager. Right? If you know you have to talk to your people and find and really look at those skills and what their skills are and and do they have leadership potential and and if they do have that, is it are they going to be able to keep their ego in check? Because I've had managers Mm. who have said, you, you know, you are disobeying me and you're being insubordinate and I don't like to be called out in front of other people in the newsroom. It's like, but you don't know how to do my job. And I know you don't know how to do my job because you don't know how to Mm -hmm. mix audio. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And (laughs) so, you know... (laughs) trust your people, trust the people who you're managing to know that they know what they are doing, especially if they
0: have, you know, 20 plus years experience. I want to ask you about the good too, which is next, but what, what was the most, um, painful, I guess, position that you've been in, in the media and Why? Um, the most
1: painful position would have been when I had to quit my job um as a producer on the radio show Unreserved on cbc. Uh, it was a show I was brought on um, it was uh, this is a long story so I was a, an associate producer doing producer work, and anybody who works at the CBC always knows that they never you know you're always working above your your scale right above your union position. And that has been a problem for decades. So there, so that's not a secret. But it finally came time that the CBC was going to invest more resources into, into Unreserved, and they were going to hire a senior producer. So I had been making the show uh, with Rosanna, Dear Child, the host, for five months, the two of us, because, I, th- I don't know, they just – they just kind of t- start taking people away from us because we were, you know, we were. No, I shouldn't say we. I'll speak for myself. I was labeled difficult and challenging, <laughs> and uh, and I guess like they, you know, in no way was I ever going to be senior producer material. The the woman who had decided that. had, had, you know, never had a conversation with me, did not look at my resume, did not know my, my work experience, my history that I'd already been in the media for 23 plus years that I was a you know, I am an award winning producer. All she saw was the time I'd spent on the show being handled by other people and what other managers were saying about me without ever having a conversation. Um, so I realized that I had Jeez. hit the proverbial buckskin ceiling and, and I, that was it. So I was, again, I have felt I, that
0: way before. I understand this.
1: Yeah. So I just, I wasn't going to hmm. stick around. Like if I, I don't, get the respect that I know I deserve. I can't stay in that place because I know I have so much more Mm -hmm. to offer. And sometimes I think people will go, okay, so you, like I walked away from a full-time permanent union job with the CBC, which is like quitting a 10-year position at a university, right? I could have stayed there. I could have kept my mouth shut. I could have just walked, went in every day and did my job and walked out. But um, as you know, Sarah, that's not me. <laughs> like I can't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and life is short. Like you have to be, you have to be somewhere that makes you happy. And doing, doing the job you love in the way that you know how to do it.
0: I'm sorry, are we in therapy right now? Because this is this is just like, it feels like you're pulling words out of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, like, it's funny though, this. I think early on when you and I started working together, we, we sort of like, we kind of said to each other, we have so much in common, even though we come from very different worlds. Yeah, we
1: bonded really quickly, I think. And that doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. I think it's because like we don't shut up. That's exactly it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have shit to say, yo. <laughs> Cheers to that. Cheers to that. So, but coming back to you know the all the all these positions that you've held, um, what's been your proudest moment in your media career so far? Oh,
1: I would have to say, Winning a New York Festivals Award.
0: Okay, tell me about the award and and what it was about.
1: Yeah, so I was working on a show called Revision Quest. um, And it basically was a a comedy show that myth-busted Indigenous stereotypes. And through the use of, like, songs and sketches and, you know funny stories and interviews, we myth busted a whole bunch of stereotypes. Um, When the TRC commission was happening across Canada and Winnipeg was the first one, I went down for the day and I recorded a sharing circle and it was really powerful. And I came back and I said, "Um, I want to make an episode about residential schools. And the team didn't think that this was on brand for the show. And I said, well, sometimes we can go off brand and we can do other things. And this is a really important topic. We need to be telling this story. And it was, you know, I was in a room full of men. And, you know, half, maybe, yeah, maybe half of them were non-Indigenous The other half were, but they were all like, Nope, this is our this is not a revision quest show. We can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, here's the thing. I'm gonna do this show on spec. And then you guys will listen to it. And the next day they all came back and apologized and said, you know, I really started thinking about what you were saying. And and I think we should, I think we should. Step off what we usually do and make this work. And I was like, okay, well, I was going to do it with or without your blessing, but whatever. So I went ahead and I made it. And (laughs) 10 months, you know, it aired. And 10 months later, I get a call on a Saturday afternoon from my senior producer, um, Doug Holmes, who actually I absolutely love. He is one of the best bosses I've ever had. I just want to give a shout out to
0: him. I feel like someone else who's been on my podcast has mentioned him. Where does he work? Uh, He works at CBC. (laughs) Got it. Continue. Yeah. So it's a Saturday afternoon and my
1: phone rings and it comes up Doug and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Why is he calling me on a Saturday? What did I do? The show aired earlier um, because now we're in another season and I feel like I'm in trouble. I always think I'm in trouble when somebody is calling me off hours, (laughs) which goes back to the, the abuse of parents being filled with guilt. But, uh, so I answer it and he goes, are you sitting down? And I was like, oh, sure, (laughs) sure. I'm sitting down. And he goes, you won a silver medal at New York festivals for your episode of Revision Quest. Amazing. Yeah, an episode that they didn't even want to do. But they did it because I forced them and said, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, so I got to, you know, I paid my own way out to New York for the awards ceremony. Uh, and broadcasters from around the world come come to this. It's, you know, it's not like a huge gala or anything. It's, it's a fairly small, intimate affair. There's a dinner. You give the award. They give the awards out to the people who who have shown up and then there's there's photo sessions and stuff afterwards. But the reason that it was so important to me is that this was one of the first times that the world was hearing about residential schools in Canada and the mistreatment of little children, little indigenous children who went there and suffered all those abuses. Um, who lost their childhood, who lost their culture, who lost their connection to their families. And as we know, a lot of them lost their lives. And so the first time the world is hearing this, I I was the conduit to that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I hear a lot of storytellers go, and musicians go, oh, well, the music just came through me, like I'm just the conduit. And I never really understood that because I'd never had that feeling before but for this episode and these stories it just I just knew exactly what to do and how to edit it together and the segments were broken up with um, Stephen Harper's apology to residential school survivors in the House of Commons and you know one of the executive producers said how did you come up with this idea I was like I don't know. I don't know. It just happened. Creator willed it.
0: Huh. So what what year would that have been when you made that production? Uh
1: 2011, I think.
0: So 11 years ago? It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel instant mushroom coffee from organic traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to organictraditions.com and use the promo code womenimmediate 20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. How does it make you feel like to know that even when you and I first started working together, which is a decade, a decade later, that there were still people who didn't accept or acknowledge that residential school thing? Uh, Well, I'm not surprised.
1: And I think this is why I do the work I do. And, you know, and do I get tired of telling, you know, sharing these stories with non-Indigenous people and explaining things to them, you know, off air in meetings? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. But If they're still listening and I feel, and you can tell when people are listening or when they're not listening, right, then it's still worth it to me to carry this work on and go, like, you have to know, you have to know this and you have to know why this is important. And a lot of times, you know, people of a certain age will go, you know, they'll be very apologetic that they never learned this in school. And I usually tell them, like, that's okay. You know, you weren't taught this in school. But you're being taught it now. So what are you going to do with this knowledge going forward?
0: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you and I, when we started our working relationship too, you know, I I was definitely a little bit anxious about like how to navigate a lot of stuff. Like you came onto the team at the perfect time when you know, we were talking about rebranding what used to be called Canadian Indigenous People's Radio to something more meaningful. And you showing up was like a, ah, right? I had so <laughs> many Indigenous women telling me how amazing you were. And they were like, you and Kim are going to be friends. Like you guys need to talk. I'm giving you her email. I'm giving you her text. I'm giving you all like, it was almost like the universe pushed us together. So then we get into this space where I'm doing a lot of asking your opinion on things and perspective. And I know that that comes up, like you just said, in everything you do, whether you're working with the um, the Indigenous Screen Office or SiriusXM. So, like, how are you navigating those conversations now? Because I really, like, thinking about Canada Day coming around again, it just seems like a mark on the calendar for review and reflection. Last Canada Day, I remember all those conversations we were having about, like, what is appropriate this week and what is not? And a year later, like, where are we at?
1: Well, I think, you know, last year, the country was grieving. We were grieving collectively, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And everyone understood, yes, we're not going to have a celebration this year. Or the celebrations are going to, you know, we're going to scale them back. And now this year... People are like, okay, well, that was last year, and now it's past. So let's just keep going. But it's not in the past that children's unmarked graves are still being. Um, I hate to use the word "found" because our people always knew they were there, um, and the country mainstream should found, still be. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Mainstream. Mainstream has discovered that you know children died yeah, at residential yeah. schools. Um, even though we all knew this all along and and everyone should have known this because it was in reports like decades ago, but for whatever reason, I guess the country just wasn't ready to reconcile that. Um, and this year, you know, I've seen a lot of angry rhetoric, um, especially here in Winnipeg, because the one okay. of our gathering places, yeah, one of our gathering places uh called the Forks, usually has a Canada Day celebration and they do fireworks. And they announced this year that they were rebranding, speaking of rebranding, they were rebranding it to call it a New Day celebration. And they were not going to have fireworks. And there were some pretty outraged people, including a woman who is running for the mayor of our city and. I hope nobody votes for her after that because that will just be pushing reconciliation back like, I don't know, 50 years. It seems so crazy. Um, right. And it's like it's it's fireworks. Nobody is saying you can't celebrate your country. Nobody is saying you can't wave your little Canadian flag or put Canadian flag tattoos on your cheeks or how whatever you want to do. It's just a different name. It's just a different name.
0: Mm-hmm. And the symbol the symbolism of that different name shows an appreciation and respect, right?
1: Yeah, and then you look at you know what's going to happen in Ottawa, or what did happen, right? It's it's going to be an interesting time for mm-hmm. sure to see what ha- you know how this day is gonna is gonna play out. But the one <laughs> one thing that I really do love about Winnipeg, so the Assiniboia Downs. Um, where the horse racing is, they're actually going to have a celebration. They're actually calling it a Canada Day celebration. They're charging people ten bucks ahead to get in. That that land is owned by a First Nation.
0: Yeah, that makes makes a lot more yeah. sense. So I say
1: reconcile, right? Reconcile that. You want to have your Canada Day celebrations? You go and you pay. You go and you pay the Indians to celebrate it, man.
0: It's like a lot of what we're seeing, whether we're talking about like uh, fashion week. I know it was just, um, I think it was just a couple weeks ago. It was indigenous fashion week in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And y- even when it's like New York fashion week, right? We're, we're starting to see indigenous designers, indigenous artists, indigenous landowners be like part of the early conversations about planning large events now. That's one thing that I think is, you know, definitely more prominent, um, since our discussion a year ago, you know, like I've started to see a lot more people putting their money where their mouth is in that sense. It's kind of like the same thing we talk about pride, right? You can put a rainbow logo on whatever you want, but unless you're actually like partnering with an organization that actually does something for the LGBTQ two-spirited community, then. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's exactly it. Um, And it's great to see, you know, do I think there should be more? Absolutely. Yeah. But we have to, you know, take things incrementally. And I'm and I'm good with that. Mm
0: hmm. So on on a media scale, reflecting on the year that has been um, just again, I, I don't know why, but this like July 1st, I, I'm really looking at it as like, what have we accomplished? And where have we slid sort of in the last year? Um, like, in Anti-Up, in your work with SiriusXM, in The Kim Wheeler Show, which, by the way, Kim Wheeler was embarrassed to call The Kim Wheeler Show. I will just put that on the record. Um, What are are the conversations that you're pushing forward now? (laughs) Oh, well,
1: so I really believe, so for The Kim Wheeler Show, I really believe in the celebration of arts and entertainment because I don't think our artists... um, are celebrated enough that the mainstream focuses on a, a few people, and there's so much talent out there that I really like to have all of those different artists come on the show, whether they're in theater or they're film or they're making a web series or they have their own podcast or 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 they're an artist, right? Um, or a, you know, an actor who is, you know, has like a dozen credits, but has never been featured in an interview. I really love giving space to to people like that. Underdogs. Yeah. So some of the guests that I have had on is Amy Jackson. She's an Indigenous businesswoman for Native Love Notes. It was a, a shop that she created during the pandemic. Eugene Brave Rock, who is in dark dark winds on amc and another show called that dirty black bag and he has a great interesting story about how he got the role in wonder woman um and sherry mckay who is a who's TikTok famous um has over half a million followers has like 17 million likes and I have my wish list of guests, including um, Sarah Podemski, who's part of the Podemski sisters. Cause I've had Tamara on. Oh, actually I haven't had Jen on. So the, the last, so Tamara and Jen add her to the list. Right. And then, uh, uh I also want to get Alma Tailfeathers tail feathers on the show as well. Cause I think she's a brilliant filmmaker. She's also an actor, uh, she's probably a producer as well. And just to give her that time to have a really in-depth conversation instead of like the seven minute edited down, watered down version, right? Just really to like really get into a meaty conversation. Um, with Auntie Up this year, we're, uh, we're in our second season. We've recorded four episodes. Two are out. Our next one, they get released every Tuesday. And our next one, I think, is either on sexual health or maybe matriarchs. Um, But the theme that it has evolved from them is that we are looking at intergenerational strength. Because we hear a lot about intergenerational trauma and how we can pass that trauma on to our children and and our grandchildren, but we also can pass our strength on. And that's where our focus is this year.
0: Oh, what a nice way to reframe that. right?
1: And that's the thing. That's That's the thing about being an Indigenous storyteller is that you get to control your own narrative. And I'm all about controlling my narrative now and controlling how we talk about indigenous people so now we're changing the narrative to talk about our strengths instead of our traumas and not that our traumas aren't important
0: to still talk about but there's
1: enough of that out there and we need more of the positive
0: you mentioned on anti-up that one of the upcoming subjects was going to be sexual health um i'm curious like you know, in your circles, how has the overturning of Roe v. Wade come up? Because Indigenous women are part of those marginalized communities that have less access than the average person would to those things to begin with.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little too brand new to really have delved into those conversations. But I know that my daughters are incredibly pissed off about it. Um, I see them post and share memes on their socials all the time. And i just i still can't believe that that happened like it's so weird i saw this i saw this post the other day that said rapists have now just been able to choose who their mothers are going to be the mothers of their children are going to be it's chilling and thank fuck we live in this country even though you know canada is not without its issues but at least we have the right to an abortion. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know what? Hearing your daughters um, be pissed off about it makes me feel really hopeful for, you know, the up and coming generations too, at least. Because there's people who are going to fight for those things if it ever goes there.
1: Yeah, my daughters are really, they're really well informed. And the, what I love most about them, well, I love many things. And this probably isn't what I love most about them. But one of the things I love about them is that they take those conversations to their friends and, and inform their friends and talk to their friends about it as well.
0: Absolutely. Tell me why you named the podcast Anti Up.
1: Oh, it, cause it works on two levels. You know, like when you want people to buy into things like betting, like, okay, Anti Up, right? A N T E, but Anti, A U N T I E, mm-hmm. right? So in the indigenous community, we all have aunties and in the non-indigenous community, right? And the aunties are the people who you can go to when you can't have that conversation with your mother, right? When you can't have that conversation with your best friend or your friends or your sister, it's somebody who you really trust to tell you the truth to sit you down and go, okay, this is, this is the way it is. And you, 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 have that circle of trust with them. So that's why we called it anti-up because we're going to tell it like it is.
0: I love that. Yeah. And you're also kind of asking people to like anti-up, like right? get with our shit.
1: <laughs> exactly. So yeah, again, it works on two levels. And yeah, I love it too. I only wish I'd come up with that title.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, who who came up with it?
1: Uh, Jolene Banning actually came up with it because we were discussing what the podcast was going to be and and she, you know, she went off on a rant and she's like, you know, people should just up blah, 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 blah. And we we're all like, oh my God, that's the name, that's the name. And, <laughs> and again, the title centers indigenous women.
0: Yeah. I wish I could have recorded <laughs> the conversation where Siobhan and I were trying to convince you to name your show the Kim Wheeler show because that was hilarious. Like you were like... I <laughs> I still shy away from telling people the name of the show
1: I always go and you know and and they go oh and what's your what's the sh- what's your show called and I'm like oh it's a ridiculously named show it's the Kim Wheeler show <laughs> and
0: <laughs> people are yeah, so supportive just like your long braggy bio <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: people are supportive they love it and I'm just like oh god <laughs> but I'll rarely say like you're listening to the Kim Wheeler show when i'm voicing my show i'm just like hey thanks for joining me blah blah blah
0: (laughs) there's something there i gotta say there's something there with what you were even saying about like getting the guest hosts like all together at one time or whatever in bringing those strengths through generations like you were just talking about like there is no reason that kim wheeler can't do that like you are the person to do that so please Give yourself some cred, woman. Miigwech, oh, I appreciate you saying that. I'm trying to uh, really
1: listen to the bestie Rosanna and and claim, really claim that space and not be not be bashful. You guys are right. I des- I deserve that space. I'm taking that space. I'm using that space to make space for others.
0: Yeah, and that's the best thing that you can do with it. Absolutely. So I have two final questions. Okay. Um, I probably should have prompted you on this last one, but I always ask, um, the women that I have on to nominate other women they admire to come on the podcast. It should be pretty easy for you to come up with a few names, but I will give you a second, uh, to contemplate if you need it. I feel comfortable enough to ask you because of, you know, how closely we have worked, but like, what is something that needs to leave Canadian vocabulary that like just pisses you off when you hear it?
1: I mean, when people go lowest on the totem pole. Or let's have a powwow about that. Or circling the wagons. Or jumping on the bandwagon. The other one that really irks me is when they say it falls on deaf ears. And I say that because my youngest daughter is deaf. And, you know, she may not hear it. But she understands language right she can she has her own language she she has asl she has signed english she uh reads and speaks written english so when you say falls on deaf ears it makes it makes deaf people sound stupid like they're not listening but they are listening so i really that one just Oh, just grinds my gears so much, um, and the other one's like lowest on the totem pole, yeah, like lowest on the totem pole, so people think, oh, like the you're at the the totem pole, everybody is equal on the totem pole, right, and these are not my you know totem pole is not part of my culture, but this is what I've been told, and that if they're all equal on the totem pole, and each each figure has a story. And if you think about it, if you want to use that analogy lowest on the totem pole, the one at the bottom is the one holding everybody else up. So it's actually the strongest figure.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that you just told me that I had I have never thought of it that way.
1: Yeah. Or lowest rung on the ladder. I mean, you could say lowest mm. rung on the ladder, and then we don't care, <laughs> right? Yeah, then you're okay.
0: Okay, well that's interesting. So to end the podcast, um, let's let's hear about some of the women that you would nominate uh, to come on and and share their stories of both, like you know, there's pain and strength and celebration kind of in every episode?
1: Well, I think everybody would really benefit from, you know, again, just shamelessly, my bestie, Rosanna Child, who has, she has um, incredible stories. She is a matriarch in her own right. She is living, you know, even though if you asked her if she was a traditional person, she would tell you no but she really is because not only does she look after her elderly mother in her home, she is also um, uh, taken uh, custody of of her niece as well, who she raised from a small child. Two of them uh, uh, as small children, and they call her mom, and she is she is their mom. And that you know that really is traditional. And then the fact that she helped start. Um, APTN News, back when APTN was just starting out. Uh, She's had several of her own shows. She's a national radio host. She is a published poet. She's a public speaker um, and and an all-around hilarious person who just turned 50 years old, even though in October she thought she was only turning 49 and had a minor fit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> she realized she was hitting the big 5 <laughs> And you're like, uh, sorry, can't avoid this one. This is the 5-0. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. So we had a surprise party for her last week. It was great. Oh, that's fun. Uh, the other person I'd nominate would be Connie Walker, who is an incredibly brilliant um, investigative journalist. Uh, she she was with the CBC for, I think, like 20 years or so uh, and left uh, she left as well, and now works with uh, Gimlet Media to produce um, to produce her own podcast. Uh, her latest one is called Stolen. This I think it's Stolen, the story of St. Michael's, and it chronicles her father's um, residential school experience. So you know, telling a story like that that is so incredibly personal it takes a lot of strength and a lot of soul searching and
0: you would know right
1: from doing my own, but hers is like an eight to 10 part, 10 parts. I don't know if I had that in me to do eight to 10 parts, but yeah, Connie is, uh, is a really amazing, lovely person too. And just so, so intelligent. Actually, I just want to talk about that about blood money about the 60, my sixty scoop doc. So I did it. I did it for CBC for the doc project because I have a love hate relationship with them, and it's like self flagellation every time I want to like work with them.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <Yep. laughs>
1: right? So the doc project is actually actually ended this season. They did their last brand new episode um, at the end of June, and now they're going into repeats over the summer of all their most favorite docs. One of which is mine, which will air uh, uh, the last week in August. So I was really honored when I got that email and 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 they said we want to we want to replay your doc. I was like, okay, wow, amazing, love it,
0: love it. That's a nice full circle moment, you know, after everything that you've been through, for sure it was so nice hanging out having a little long weekend beverage with you but of course i told you when i launched this podcast that you needed to come on and i'm happy we found some time for that um your story is amazing keep doing amazing things and thank you for coming on uh chi
1: sarah thank you so much for having me and you keep doing amazing things and the next time i'm in toronto which may be for the lady gaga concert we'll uh we'll get together
0: Kim has really done it all. And from her show on SiriusXM to her CBC doc Blood Money, I encourage you to visit the links in the episode notes and follow her on social media. Aside from sharing important stories and, well, saying it like it is, which, as you know, I appreciate, Kim is hilarious. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators. But we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please
1: follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode.
0: Wish us luck. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network.